In this episode of the Exploring from Your Security Podcast, what's it like to work in a security operations center or SOC? Welcome to the Exploring from Your Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring what's it like to work in a SOC. With me today to answer this question is Jeff Lang, IT security analyst at Virginia Tech. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Tim? I am fantastic. So first, let's knock out some of the basics. What is a security operations center? Well, basically at its core is going to be your monitoring area uh, for your organization that keeps an eye on any of your uh, security tools you might have in place, uh, like your uh, Snort IDSs or any of your uh, FireEye or any other devices that you've got uh, that, you know, set up to look uh, for any intrusions or anything that's going on that's, that's kind of wonky on your network. Is that so? Is that all you'd really do? I've I've really like kind of had a hard time recently trying to explain how uh, the sock does what it does. Yeah, it it isn't everything that we do. There are a lot of components that go into it. Uh, a lot of times, you know, one part of it is you'll be managing the devices that are doing that. So you'll have you know kind of some of your basic sysadmin responsibilities to. Uh, make sure things are patched and up to date and uh, things along those lines. And also that your rules that you're using are uh, getting updated uh, usually daily and those things. Uh, and, and you basically have access to more information uh, in log files, uh, different event triggers and things that will help you kind of go out and look for things that could be going wrong. So it, it is kind of going through a lot of data that's coming in and out of the network to try and find uh, anything that's not not right with it. So are you doing anything like malware analysis or threat intelligence or anything like that? So you may get a, let's say a phishing email comes into the university and you've got to pull out uh, information that's coming from that. Uh, we'll actually take those uh, usually Word documents or PDFs uh, open them up in a safe uh, VM environment uh, that we can actually go through and parse for various strings or other objects within those documents that might point us to where the malware is actually done. So in a lot of phishing, it's a uh, like a two-step. You get the phishing email, you open a Word document, executes a macro, and then goes out back to the web and pulls down the latest version of, uh, let's say, Locky or ransomware or any of the others. And what you can actually do is find out where those are hosted. And then if you have uh, tools in place that will allow you to block either, you know, if you're snort or whatever intrusion is a, you know, protection device, you can actually block those IP addresses. And if you do any kind of DNS filtering, you can make sure they go into that. So in regards to the logs and looking for, through the traffic, are you doing that like manually or do, are there some kind of tools that really help with that? Well, there are some great tools. A lot of people have uh, contributed to the community and uh, done a lot of log analysis. So there are a number of them. You can dump uh, Windows event logs and then uh, you have you know your list of important uh, security logs that might indicate something and you can run a script across that data and then just pull out those that are uh, 
you know, that are, are problematic. But, you know, in, in some circumstances, uh, you do have to do kind of a, you know, raw, uh, just look through log by log some of the things that are going on so that you can try and build an idea of what just happened and, you know, maybe why it happened. So you will you can see a lot of times um, malware will try and, you know, run on a machine and it'll get blocked and you can actually see in, in the logs that, you know, it fired up Windows installer, but it was prevented and things along those lines. So are you doing anything along the lines of, you know, like aggregating data or, you know, we talk about this like big data or what marketers do, you know, when they're able to pick out human behaviors or I guess, I guess it, what the field would be called like data science. It, that is a growing uh, place within the security realm. Uh, there are some, you know, interesting organizations out there that are doing those sorts of things. Most of the aggregation that we kind of see going on uh, in in SOCs is trying to pull logs in from all over your organization. Uh, there are a lot of silos, uh, especially at a university where you have individual departments, uh, you have central IT, and you have uh, you know student uh, you know student machines, and you want to to be able to aggregate as much of that logging in one place as you can, so that when you do start to search across um, across the all the data that's there, you're finding any incidents that might be popping up. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I, like, what's the worst thing you've seen since we're talking about <laughs> college? And this is an open question, but, you know, either whether it's a student or a teacher or whoever else, what's the worst thing you've seen? Well, it, you see all sorts of things. The, a lot of, you know, you get a lot of adware, a lot of malware, uh, directing people all over the place. Uh, we do get a, a number of interesting uh, people clicking on fishes. And you go back and look at the uh, emails that come in and, and you're like, well, why would you even have clicked on this? This doesn't <laughs> seem like it would be relevant to anything you would be doing. So that's always a challenge. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So what roles are in a SOC? So depending on how... Uh, the SOC is set up, there are, you know, a number of different, well, I guess like you say roles, but a lot of them can be filled by the same people. Some of them separate them into different tiers. So, you know, you'll have your first tier uh, that's probably just doing monitoring. So they're looking through uh, the logs, looking for alerts to happen. Um, and then they would probably take that over to someone to do it in, like the next role, which they would be doing an investigation on it. So they're the ones that are going to sit down and really start looking into the log files, into the uh, alerts that have triggered and trying to determine if, hey, was this a false positive or is this actually an actionable event? And then, you know, once you've determined it's an actual event, you know, you'll notify. So you'll probably have those people notifying different departments or different, you know, individuals within the organization that will handle uh, incident response. Um, and then at the same time, probably sending it up to the next role, which is really the analysis role, uh, people breaking down malware, people taking a look to see if they can build additional rules specifically for what you just saw, and then feeding those back into your tools so that you can help prevent any further attacks along those lines. So this kind of sounds like a almost like a support desk type of setup where you have your tier one, tier two, tier three. 
it, it is very similar uh, within that uh, kind of idea. You are monitoring a lot of the same tools and a lot of the same notification for things uh, really do fit into uh, that traditional help desk style role. Uh, but what you start getting into is um, really the investigation into the security incidents um, and, you know, taking action. And some of those actions, you know, sometimes you pull a machine off the network, you know, you call and they actually terminate the port switch, uh, you know, suspend accounts uh, until you can identify, uh, you know, where it got compromised, when it got compromised, and then, you know, take appropriate actions to, you know, prevent that in the future. So let's talk about investigation because that's in my experience when I was working in a SOC, I kind of, that felt like a really big part of it. Um, what's the difference between an actionable incident and a non-actionable incident? Well, one of the big things that, uh, it, let's say at Virginia Tech, uh, if we have, uh, what would they call it, uh, potentially unwanted programs, uh, this would be uh, things that you might get by clicking on ads or installing uh, tools on your machine and not clicking the custom install. And so it drops uh, toolbars all over the, your browser. Um, you know, depending on whose machine that's going to be is going to determine kind of the criticality of it. If we could determine it's a student machine, uh, you know, we may alert them uh, that they have it, but that's probably all the action that we're going to take. Uh, if we turn around and we find that it was somewhere in um, purchasing and, you know, there could be a potential that there would be more issues there. We're going to handle that in a different method and we would take action, uh, definitely in those circumstances to try and notify the department and have them make sure that that's all it was, is, you know, some random thing that got picked up and not, you know, something more serious. So for phishing emails, have you ever thought of like sending them a phishing email to like clean up their machine, like a link here, click on this and automatically run something, <laughs> clean up their machine or something? There, there are a lot of uh, phishing testing sites out there, a lot of programs that you can enroll in. And uh, talking to folks who have done it, they've had pretty good results. Uh, what they have found is you kind of announce that this is all happening and you go out and you do it and everybody's diligent and pays attention. And then in six months, they're back to clicking on all the things that come in the inbox. Right. Um, but there are, there have been a number of uh, malware that have gotten out loose and about that actually will tighten up security settings and, and flash, you know, different firmwares on different, uh, I think that was one of the router uh, malwares and it would actually upgrade your router for you since it was clearly insecure. But I don't think uh, in most cases you really want to be doing that. You can have uh, in a university, you could have guests from other universities here. You could have uh, parents coming in to visit students and they may all get wireless access on your network. So you do have to be very careful about taking action against something uh, and kind of sending a phishing email that would that would clean things up is probably not the best idea. <laughs> So how often are you seeing like current trends within InfoSec within your traffic that you're monitoring? So like, for example, the Internet of Things is a big thing right now. Ransomware, I guess, is a big thing. Like, do you kind of see a lot of this stuff on a regular basis along with some of the stuff that's hitting the news or like shortly thereafter? We absolutely see it. The 
footprint on uh, on the internet for universities is is pretty large. Uh, most of them have you know very heavy research agendas, and sharing that research data between other institutions is critical. And so what you'll find is uh, not only do universities have uh, a lot of people using their network, there's a lot of devices hooked up to it that are just uh, out there ready to be scanned. And so we do see uh, people running scans all the time. You can go through logs on a day, you know, come in in the morning and take a look at some of the IPS logs and you've got people running Nessus scans against your entire infrastructure. And it's like, well, that's going to take a while. Um, but you'll see, you know, pretty common things along those lines. We see uh, ransomware very, very frequently. Uh, most of the strains that have come out lately, we've I have uh, samples of that we've been able to pull down from phishing campaigns that came in. And so, yeah, we absolutely see, you know, you'll read something online and you turn around and if you start to look for those indicators of compromise, there's probably something out there that we're seeing happening. So are you seeing, like right now, are you seeing like a lot of Internet of Things showing up on campus more and more? Yes. And there is a lot of research going on in universities across the U.S. on the Internet of Things. And a lot of labs are being set up on campus to try and uh, emulate, you know, a home environment or whatever environment they're going to be in. And we absolutely see uh, these devices out there and people wanting to turn on and off light bulbs all they want and, you know, uh, internet toast themselves with their toaster. But. <laughs> internet toast themselves. That, that almost sounds like getting high or something <laughs> on the internet, which applies to a college campus. Um, what about like, so what about DDoS? Like, are you, do, do you guys get hit with DDoS or do you see like DDoS traffic being sent from some of these internet of things? Uh, absolutely. One of the biggest ones that we see is DNS related. Uh, a lot of those Internet of Things devices will have a small DNS server on them, and it's set up to just listen and reply. And if you don't uh, properly configure that, it can actually be used as a, in a DNS amplification attack. And we see that quite regularly. We do some scans on DNS to pull recursion and see if we uh, are able to get you know uh, those activities and then send uh, notices about that and try and get people to uh, at least firewall it off or or at least have it set up properly. Now, are these like students or is this other people in IT within your organization or teachers or what? It's all over the place. Um, okay, you know, it's people plug in a router. You know, they come into their dorm and mm, they yep. you know they have. Uh, like an Xbox or a PlayStation that doesn't really work with a an enterprise grade wireless system, so you know they just go run out to Best Buy and pick up, you know, a twenty dollar router, plug it in, and and then they go from there. And generally speaking, no security gets set up on that, and uh, you know they it's just out there. Uh, and there's also devices that you know legitimate devices that come in uh, that are open to the internet that. You know, maybe the designers of the products themselves didn't expect it to be on an open Internet. And therefore, uh, their defaults are much weaker than one would probably want. Right. Right. So what skills are needed to work in a SOC? 
Well, so pretty much across the board, it's really good to have a solid sysadmin background uh, coming into it. You know, you're starting to look at log files. You're starting to look at different things. And if you don't already know kind of a basis on how a lot of those things work or the way that they should be working, uh, when you go to do those investigation portions, you, you know, you're like, well, now I have to learn how DHCP works before I can tell you if this is a legitimate uh, DHCP spoofing attempt. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a good background to have. Uh, the ability, you know, the patience to be able to sit and go through a lot of data and to try and uh, to pick out those, some of those commonalities or some of those things that really stand out is, I don't know if this is bad, but this just doesn't look right. And then be able to take that and, you know, go back to the data looking for more that can confirm what's going on with something along those lines. Yeah, I would say the investigation is, is a pretty big piece. I'm like kind of almost like a detective following up on leads and doing yeah. some all sorts of different things. There's nothing uh, there's nothing better than when you you kind of. You want to hold off any uh, suspicion that you have about um, what happened in an incident, just so that you don't uh, don't taint your idea mm -hmm. to your bias, to block, yeah, to give bias to it. Uh, but when you kind of have that idea, and then all of a sudden, after a few hours of uh, going through all the data and looking at all the things, it's like, yep, that's what it was. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's been my experience. So when I was working in the SOC, I I don't really particularly care for the, for working in SOC. Um, mm -hmm. It was an interesting experience and I learned a lot, but I never liked feel like feel like I was being chained to my desk. And that's like like you said, you're picking through stuff and the patience for all that. Is that is that kind of how you feel or do you look at it differently? Uh, it is. There are definitely those days uh, where you're you know going through and looking at you know some of the same stuff over and over again. But especially in, in the environment at a university, you never know what you're going to see. <laughs> and. We tend because you know we're a very you know, relatively small operation within the university. We get we have to handle you know kind of stem to stern a lot of the things. So we do tend to do a lot of uh, physical and network forensics as well, uh, taking images of machines and kind of you know going through the whole process. So uh, for us, while there are times where we're just you know strapped to the desk, there are other times where we're actually out uh, and you know taking images and doing things along those lines. We also have uh, security reviews where we try and go out into the departments and to work with them uh, to do an analysis of their existing infrastructure and, you know, give them uh, an overall picture of where they stand from a security standpoint. So there are a number of things that we get involved with that, that allow us the ability to kind of move away from the desk. Yeah, so th that's another thing is is forensics is seems to be another big part of the SOC or or is that the case? Uh, in our case, it is absolutely. Uh, again, depending on what your organization looks like, uh, that could be a completely separate group within the security team. I've talked to some folks, and you know they really have a group that does nothing but the monitoring and reporting. Uh, they have another group that does all the investigation, malware analysis. Uh, writing new rules, and then any forensics that they have to do, they have an entirely different group within that team that does nothing but that. So, um, it and a lot of times when they're separated at that level, 
the SOC operations point is really that monitoring piece. So, you know, there are a lot of times where, you know, people will go in and it's like, oh, I can't stand working at the SOC because this is all we do. Well, and, and in our case, and in my case, especially, it's been really good to be able to get out and do some of kind of all of those things mm-hmm. instead of just that one portion of it. Yeah, I, 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 we were moving towards uh, doing some forensics. We had a one person that and, and a couple backup people that were doing forensics. So, um, yeah, we were doing a lot of monitoring. So, yeah, absolutely. And the forensics part is a lot of fun because, uh, you know, you get to use some really neat tools, some duplicators mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to make sure, uh, you know, you you do everything and follow up in the proper formats. So let's let's talk about a typical day. What's a typical day like for you? Well, typically, you know, we'll come in while we are a we do have SOC uh, operations. We aren't a 24 by 7 center. A lot of security operation centers will run, you know, 365 and always be there and always be monitoring. Uh, so we kind of have to come in and do the all right, let's see what happened overnight and kind of look back at different alerts and different things that go on uh, so that we can kind of get ourselves up to speed uh, and then starting going around and look, looking at, uh, you know, maybe the mail teams, uh, some of the abuse emails that come in that can give us an indication that, oh, these people are sending phishing messages. We need to look to reply to that. Uh, and then, you know, as it progresses through the day, you start looking at, at a lot of things out on the internet itself. Um, you'll find a lot of paste bin sites that have uh, either you know system information that somebody's been able to call together, or uh, you know the latest password hack with uh, email addresses from all over the place has uh, gone out there, and you want to be able to pull that information in and make some determinations of whether you need to notify anybody, or if, you know it's like, oh, these passwords need to be reset for this. And things along those lines. So that's that's really kind of what we're going to look at uh, on a daily basis. Okay. So what is the best thing about working in a SOC? Honestly, I think uh, in the circumstance that I'm in at Virginia Tech, that it's that variety that comes in. That fact that we may go in expecting to look you know, at the log files and to, to see what's going on, only to have... Uh, you know, somebody trying to uh, abuse VPN accounts that we have to track down. So you never know what's going to happen uh, when things come in and it, on any given morning. So I think that's probably the thing I like best about it. <laughs> what's the worst thing? Well, I think we've already kind of summed that up. And that can be the, some of the tedium. Because uh, there are times where you just have, you know, you're doing review and there's six machines involved in an incident and you're looking at, six months of log files for all of them, or you're looking at network flow for a machine for the last year. And that can be a good bit tedious at times. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the things that I didn't, and I, I think really contributed to me not liking it is uh, I'm always looking at timestamps. So I'm always aware of the time. I would rather <laughs> not be aware of the time and then be like, oh, it's time to go home or, you know. Um, but no, every time you look at a log file, every time you look at something, yeah. it's right there staring at you. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel that same way or uh, are you able to kind of tune that out? 
I, I've been able to start to tune that out a good bit. Um, it, music playing in the background helps keeping <laughs> you know things going like that. Uh, absolutely can kind of help, you know, distract you from just seeing the clock. Okay. So what resources are available for working in a sock? Uh, there are a good number of books that people have started right about setting up socks. Uh, and that's kind of a neat way to go into looking at the, you know, the tools that are in there, the pieces of it that are coming together and kind of how you're pulling information in. And that can give you a great resource to get started and, and trying to think about what you want to do. Um, Security Onion, which is a fantastic distribution uh, that boils together a lot of the security tools into a, a nice monitoring station is also something, you know, set that up on your home network uh, and you can start monitoring the things that are going on and you can start seeing some of that traffic that's coming across your, your cable connection uh, that you don't see normally. And I think that really getting in and playing with those tools and just getting uh, yourself familiar with how how it works and what kind of alerts are going to generate and what kind of things, you know, you would be interested in, in delving into further. All right. So book recommended. We'll, uh, I'll be sure to throw that in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. Um, anything else you'd like to mention that we haven't already discussed? Yeah, no, I think we've had a pretty good conversation about, uh, security operations centers. They tend, you know, so they can be very, very formal uh, and set up, uh, you know, according to very ma big mandates by an organization. But a lot of times uh, they can also just kind of be cobbled together at organizations. So you get a big mix of what's going on uh, in all the different sizes. All right. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, no, I, I stay away from social media as much as I can. So I don't... Uh, <laughs> It's not a bad thing, especially with some of the stuff going on right now. Well, yeah, I, I, it's, I don't know. There are a few things I like. Uh, the untapped beer app, I like that one. That's about the only one I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's my social media. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, thank you for joining me to discuss what's it like working in a sock. Well, thank you, Tim. That will do it. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes. Have a good one.